Welcome to Watershed's April podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove. I'm the cinema curator here at Watershed. And this month I'm joined by Steph Reid, who's the cinema programme assistant at Watershed. And we are going to have a peruse through some of the uh, films, the highlights that we feel um, are coming up in April. There are many more films on this month um, that we will not get round to talking about, unfortunately, but you can find them all on watershed.co.uk. But yes, so there, there's what I thought, Steph, actually, thinking about the films that I'm interested in talking about mm. is, and, and I know I've said this before, um, I think I probably say it all the time, actually, is... Um, they're intensely cinematic films. <laughs> Ironically, for showing in a cinema. But it, it, it's an interesting point, though, isn't it? Because I... I well, let's, let's, let's list them. So mm-hmm. we're talking about... Well, certainly i am I'm got on my sites um, Albert Serra's Pacifiction. Mm-hmm. Hilner Palmazin's Godland. Yep. And the, the, the Three Colours trilogy yep. that opened at the end of March, very and continues throughout but April. The, the bulk, they're all really on in April. Um, Christoph Kozlowski's kind of highly acclaimed um, Three Colours trilogy from the nineties, um, and it just in thinking about those films, you know, one of the things that connects them all. I mean, I know you could say that everything's connected by being shown in the cinema, but what these films really are doing is exploring ideas through a very cinematic language. Would you agree? I mean, we're showing them in the cinema. Yeah, I, I think that's a bit glib. To it, be, it might to, be, it might to, be. To, no, I, to be. To be perfectly honest. Um, but, you know, it, it is, it is, is that the definition? If they're shown in a cinema, they're then cinematic. No. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you only got to look to no offence showcase. But. Yeah. Um, but no, there I is a way in which they're using the language of cinema. Um, that in quite interesting ways, I think, and especially throughout a lot of those, I mean, especially with Pacifiction and Godland, they're both yeah. very um, considered s- slow, some might say, pieces. Yeah. The, that cinematic kind of underpinning. In a way, that's, that is probably uh, the case. I guess the, the, they're using a very... Whilst they're narratives, whilst they're stories that, you know, in that in that um beginning traditional beginning, middle and end, they all they all operate within that that that, that realm. Um so so the, the, the audience will get a story from them. But the visual language that they use is of a different uh, nature than uh, than, you know, if you go to the multiplex mm. go to the, you know, John Wick. If you see uh, Shazam or whatever, um, it it it's not those kinds of action dramas. The, the, there's a kind of I guess more meditative mm. quality to these images for the audience. I think these films are are, are sort of asking for a different way of being watched. Mm. That they're more they're less about the action than they are about. The, um, the the experience, the journey mm. that is being told, and actually going straight into 
um, Albert Serra's Pacifiction, which is a film that I saw maybe at Cannes. I think you saw it at Cannes. Cannes last year. And, you know, again, when you're seeing a lot of films together, and of course people are watching lots of films together because they're watching films at home, going to the cinema, everybody's watching films in different ways. This film really stood out for me because... Um, so it's about... A, a, um, it's set in French Polynesia, where a, a sort of high commissioner, French high commissioner, um, played by Benoit Majimal, um, who's a great performance um, in the film, it, you feel as though he's losing control. Um, he's kind of out his depth. He's he's a politician, but he's he's out his depth. He he may well in quotes have gone native, as it were. <laughs> uh, and uh, um, he, he there's a kind of surrounding politics about colonialism and stuff, and he's trying to make sense of it in a way that it, you, you realise you're trying to make sense of of what's going on. And there are amazing scenes where where um, he Sarah takes you out into the um, huge surfing waves. Yeah, um, those shots on the, the beach. Shots I mean. are just unbelievable. Now, they they're, they're not about. I mean, you could see them. Well, they're more metaphorical. That's the mm. thing because, of course, what you've got is this huge turbulence underneath. The, the, you know, so you can. See, but it, it asks itself to be read in that way rather than. Oh, what's going to happen next? Is a shark going to come out and attack? Yeah, it's you not know. used as like a narrative device. Yes, yeah, it's not a narrative device. It's a kind of visual, and you almost drift along with him mm. in, in those scenes. But they, they look unbelievable because of the way they're shot. And I guess what I mean was, um, in terms of the, the differences, um, I, I, I listened to an interview with Sarah from the Lincoln Centre, um, and he was talking about how, you know, making the film. Mm. What I hadn't realised was because I, I, I think the, that performance from Benoit is is brilliant. It's so captivating. It's so you you feel his anxieties, uncertainties, um, as I say, being out of his depth. And apparently, the way they filmed it was um, Sarah, although he had a huge, although he had a script, quite extensive script, he said to Benoit in particular. But I think all the uh, there are three cameras that are going to be filming you, but you don't know where they are. <laughs> and you, so you, you've just, just be, just exist in that just space. Just exist in that the space. Yeah. We're going to be filming, and 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 actually, I don't even know which shot I'm going to use. Mm. And what what he talked, what Sarah talked about was, um, it was almost um, managed improvisation. Mm. It was improvisation, because the actors all had to within a script sense had to improvise because they weren't oh that's the camera there I'm going to that's my mark I'm going to yeah, finish I'm delivering there. this monologue to that camera or yeah, this conversation. yeah they had to kind of evolve in the moment and Sarah was absolutely this was how it was going to be made mm. so Sarah didn't really know what was going to happen either so the there was a sort of um let's improvise it and let's see where it goes. Yeah, I think he even takes that further. I mean, there's a scene in the car where I think in this, maybe it's the same podcast or conversation, mm. but he says that um, he hadn't actually told the guy's lines yeah. and he was feeding them to him through an earpiece uh, in the car. And That's right. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's that feeding that. That requires that kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Um, not like subservience, but, you know, the actor kind of has that trust in the voice in their ear and just has to But also it. has to perform it. Well, yeah. So I mean, he, it's not like But it's kind of taking it. away the artifice of the performance yeah. because it's so instant. Yeah. I think that's what he was kind of interested yeah. in. I think he also goes in to talk about how um, 
it, that length of shoot was like the perfect yeah. amount of time to spend on a film because then you get a different dynamic emerging the longer the shoot carries on yeah. and the actors kind of <laughs> start I, to yeah, no, exactly. organise against you almost. And, 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 what, and, and of course the, the other element is that that can be very hit and miss mm. because of course you can do that sort of I was going to say wing it, but it's not winging it because, of course, what you what you have is the the um, the skills of Sarah, the skills of the cinematographer, the skills of everybody around, the actors, the performers, but they're responding to a kind of improvisation, mm. um, which, of course, improvisation can is very edgy. It, it can it, you know it can go either way, and I think what you see with Passive Fiction is it's for me it's it. It, it creates a, um, a, a kind of mesmerising atmosphere in, mm. in, around the character, but around the film in general. Um, and this is me kind of trying to, you know, months later, still trying to <laughs> process, <laughs> still trying to understand, you know, what this what this film is doing. But that was, and I think I'd mentioned to you before, I've been reading um, Nick Cave's brilliant discussions with Sean O'Hagan mm. in the book and he talks about um, making his album Ghosting yeah. um, and he talks about that very, the, the, the way he worked with Warren Ellis was it was a kind of it was an improvisation mm. they didn't know which where it was going to lead to, the, the songs they didn't know what, really what was going to emerge but they, they had confidence in their, what they had was their abilities yeah. as musicians which of course is of, of a high order, similar Sarah Benoit, you mm. know. but they they didn't know the end product, and I think that's what I mean about uh, this. May well go back to the cinematic because you know John John Wick has got an end product, yeah, and, and, and it know, follows conventional it, it, kind of narrative. It, it's going to take you there, yeah. but it's what you're dealing with with um, with um, past fiction in particular. I think is that um, sense of and like. Nick Cave was talking about with ghosting is you're just not sure, but you've it, it's then your ability kind of evolves as an out of the process, right? Yeah, it's it that creative collaboration, yeah, yeah. which I think is something that I mean came out. I mean, not to divert into the music kind of side of things, but um, I think he said that the way he used to write before he started collaborating with Warren Ellis was so much more kind of insular and solitary, and he would kind of map out more what those songs would look like in yeah. their entirety. Yeah. And it was quite restrictive in that way, whereas his yeah. collaborations with Ellis, it's kind of more And that's a kind of creative now. relationship mm. that's, that's, that's developed, which gives them confidence to improvise, mm. I think. And then you, 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 you know where that, where that leads. Which brings me on to the Three Colours trilogy, the extraordinary three films, Three Colours Blue, Three Colours White, Three Colours Red, um, from the 90s uh, and actually thinking back these were the absolute kind of pinnacle um, of a pinnacle one of the many pinnacles <laughs> of European cinema uh, in the uh, at that time but in, in relationship with what we've been talking about in collaboration partnership they, they they're a partnership between the, the director the great Polish director um, Christoph Kozlowski and particularly the scriptwriter Christoph Pizewicz and um, composer Zbigniew Preusner which 
certainly with the scriptwriter well, and 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 the composer as it were, gives the films the sense of uh, unity um, and creative uh, exploration through the kind of themes that they're exploring, which were linked to the French Revolution, French le revolutionary values of liberty, equality, fraternity. Liberté, equality, fraternity. Um, and so exploring those through the trickler, um, mm. blue, um, and in different ways dealing with grief, dealing with politics of, of Europe, but dealing with the interconnectedness of people. Mm. Um, and it's that interconnectedness, I think, which, which, which sort of links, um, I think, my main pacifiction um, as well. There's something going on that is linking these stories with the audience, with the viewer as well, that you get drawn into the interconnectedness of things. Um, but but just going on to Three Colours, I, I, it's it's so great to be able to have them back in the, the cinema. Um, as I said earlier, they were they were um, extraordinary in that they really dominated a kind of cinema discussion um, and at, at the time when they were made because Three Colours Blue, which is um, just an amazing, um, very cinematic. <laughs> Uh, so. <laughs> which is, see, I think it's more cinematic than white, which is an, uh, anyway. Yeah, that's probably the most or red, the, or, or red, but but maybe we we need to revisit this term and get some clarity around it. Um, I know of what I talk. Maybe it needs a symposium. Maybe it needs a symposium. <laughs> <laughs> um, Blue won the Venice Film Festival in '93. White, three colours white, won the Berlin Film Festival in '94. And then Three Colours Red was on in Cannes, 94 in competition. And you could palpably feel the excitement as would this Polish director exploring really, um, at that time as well, um, absolutely of the, the moment, European, European themes, mm. French, but European because it's 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 across Europe, so it's interconnecting not just the characters but actually Europe, European culture. Making big big statements about European culture, um, um, and would it sweep the festival, the European festival board? Mm. Three Colours Red didn't win can. Go on, what did? And do you know what won? I think I do. In this. This maybe says too much about the state of things. It was that Quentin Tarantino with that. It was that brashy Quentin Tarantino with that brashy film, Pulp Fiction. Um, so there you go. There's 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 the Ruining high Kozlowski's and the low, day. The high <laughs> and the low embodied. Three colours red lost out. But that to one side. Um, it, it, they are a, a really wonderful, uh, as I say, interconnectedness, exploring. Um, really rich themes uh, around those kind of values. And I do emphasize that you do not need to see them in order. Yeah. You do, they work in themselves, in and of themselves as individual films. But they, they, they also, there is a kind of satisfying, and as I say, the interconnectedness between them. And actually, if you, if you, when I remember watching them, there's, there's a really brilliant scene in 
every one of the films because characters from other films appear in other films. But there is there is there's, there's a really brilliant um, which I love in it is there's watch out for an old woman in the sort of in the background mm. who she's obviously got problems with her back and she can't quite stand up straight and she goes to put recycle her glass bottles. Oh, and, I vaguely remember this. And put them into the recycle. She can't quite reach. <laughs> and you sort of feel like go, getting into the cinema screen and saying, look, I'll give you a hand <laughs> and I'll, I'll help you put these through, which which is testament to, I think, to, you know, sort of um, the trilogy making you care about people, mm. and making you care about the characters that you're, that you're watching. Um, and actually that may well connect with Sarah's um, film Pacifiction because I think there is an interesting way in which you care, you feel actually, you feel more for the character, the Benoit character going back to Pacifiction. Yeah. You know, You're very way... carried along in each of their perspectives yeah. across all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. In a way and trying feels... to work out with them. You're, all, you're almost yeah. trying to work out with them what is going on here, you know. Yeah. So one of the, the other um, one of the other films in this, my, these essential cinematic films. Is, of the moment. Is, is, is for this month. <laughs> <laughs> Until I come on to the other ones. Yeah. Is, is um, the, the really striking uh, Godland by Icelandic director Hilnar Palmesen. Um, and I know that you were really taken with this film, Steph, because you mm. put together our Sunday rep season based on the yeah. themes. Five Sundays across April. You, you got the five, su- got you the got the five Sunday months? Yeah, so I mean, Godland is kind of about a, a Danish Lutheran priest who gets sent out, as it were, to Iceland to oversee the construction of a new church. Um, and it was kind of based on, uh, the director explained that it was kind of drawn out of these seven wet plate photographs that were kind of unearthed. Um, which were the documentation that the pastor or religious man made on his tour there. Um, and the whole narrative is kind of drawn out of that, as much as there can be said to be a narrative. Again, it's like pacifiction. It's kind of you're brought along with this character um, to kind of experience his experience of the land in a way. Because, of course, it's set in 18, yeah, it's, 1860s, it's a, 1870s, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're very much drawn into, and you know, there's beautiful shots of the Icelandic landscape. You're already drawn into the environment as much as his situation. Um, but you kind of, you know, throughout the course of the film, you kind of see his his gradual, I would say, mental and physical <laughs> decline or decay. Well, it's that, it's that uh, thing, isn't it? That it, it, and I hadn't realised this relationship between Denmark and Iceland. Mm. But it, is, it, it was like a colony. Of yeah, it was, it was a colonial it, enterprise, and, and he's an, he's an aspect to, yeah, of that. Yeah, preach the gospel and yeah. bring civilization to these in the form of this church. That's in the form of a church, and also art as well with photography. Somehow there was a kind yeah. Of there's an interesting way that. that the director uses that kind of that aspect of his wet plate photographing as yeah. a way that he kind of imposes his kind of frame in this Danish perspective and yeah. you know he refuses to take the land as it is essentially and it's yeah. people he kind of imposes this but structure and his religion on it. With the, well with yeah the and land. eventually <laughs> you yeah. know comes around to bite him I guess. Um, yeah. So I mean the season kind of focuses similarly on kind of I mean we call it God's Lonely Man after that line from Taxi Driver. Yeah. Um, but well, because of the, 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 
the religious the religious element and also uh, yeah. the you know in godland he's essentially he's he's this lone figure like he's on this colonial enterprise but he's you know it's just him out there and it's the way he kind of interacts with the kind of local people and gets re rejected by them essentially so the season kind of similarly draws together kind of other films that depict the kind of crises of faith i would say and spiritual malaise of other isolated men of god or religious people I mean, they are all men. <laughs> That's kind of a key part of it, I would say. Um, and they're often, you know, stubborn outsiders, I would say, and focused on evangelizing communities or environments that tend to reject them. Yeah. And so, you know, look at that throughout the centuries in terms of... Uh, I've presented the season chronologically over the Sunday, so we start with Andrei Rublev. But, but chron um, chron chronologically, chronologically, not from when they're made, filmed. But, but when they're set. So, yeah, first one is Yeah, we start with Tarkovsky's Andrei Rublev yeah. and then to Herzog's Aguirre, The Wrath of God, which mm. is kind of more of that colonial aspect in terms of the conquistadors yeah. and his just, descent. Just on the Herzog, yeah. Aguirre, The Wrath of God. I mean, that was the film that Godland, when I watched it the first time, I thought of Herzog, mm. Aguirre, Wrath of God, and also Fitzcarraldo. Yeah. Um, well, that was a toss-up between them. I was they, trying to decide which one to go for, but Aguirre just fit in better with the religious they, they, theme. They, but they the, both, but it's that thing about the, the Godland gets, gets that elemental. It's mm. it's man and nature. It's man against nature, as it were. Well, the Icelandic are actually quite happy with nature, but but it's <laughs> it's this kind of evangel, as you say, the evangelizing the and it's the, 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 arrogance, the arrogance of man of the, in the, the indifferent of, hostility the of nature of, that's the kind of pushing of, back of the the, the civilizing religion, mm. you know, the, and and then but then coming up against the elemental, yeah, and that's what Herzog was really brilliant with, and and lots of his films, but in those two in particular, you get the sense of the the that nature's going to na nature's going to sort them out. Yeah, it does, arguably. <laughs> um, and then I suppose the final three kind of work more in tandem with each other, which is Scorsese's recent historical epic, Silence, about the two Portuguese Jesuit priests mm. um, in Japan. Yeah, Japan yeah. Um, and they're kind of, the way they find their faith challenged there um, mm. through various <laughs> circumstances. Um, and then Diary of a Country Priest, the uh, Bresson film, which um, is actually a kind of touchstone for, um, which I, again you think about in Godland, but it's also a touchstone for 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 Scorsese and yeah. Schrader, who I know you've you've kind of got. Yeah, in, there in as terms well. of um, it kind of, I, I think provides a template that kind of Schrader revisits in First Reformed, mm. which is the final film in the season. Mm. I think those two form a really interesting kind of companion piece to one another, <laughs> um, which is something that I think Schrader was quite conscious of. Um, because I mean, around the time of the release of First Reformed, he was talking about how he was revisiting his kind of I, this idea of transcendental cinema, yeah. and particularly that focus that he found in Diary of a Country Priest on this kind of. Uh, he talks about the religious sense of you know the Kierkegaardian sickness unto death, and yeah. trying to explore that visually on screen, but also to bring it into the present. Um, you know, he says that with First Reformed, he was kind of looking at the contemporary sociological state that we have with climate change about mm. how that spiritual sense of hopelessness is now more widespread as a, you know felt among the species because mm. the whole world is starting to experience that whereas within diary of a country priest it's kind of more focused within mm. that singular figures kind of that, that that's actually what i was just thinking about it as you're talking is that's what's interesting about godland um i think <coughs> in in relationship to those those films is that 
Um, it, it's in the similar um, territory about, you know, as we've discussed. Um, and of course, what Schrader, um, indeed Bresson, and arguably Tarkovsky and Herzog actually are, are it, 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 it's about the individual's struggle, you know, and it's yeah. about the individual's, um, you know, wanting to go out and maybe wanting to go out and evangelise and change people and do all of that. But actually what they've got to look at is themselves, really. Mm. And what they end up doing is looking at their inner spirituality, their inner self. Um, but I thought what was interesting about Godland is that it, it points towards community. Uh, you, you know, in, 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 in that sort of second half of Godland, he almost begins to open up to... Actually, <laughs> exactly, almost. But there's the, oppor- there's the possibility of, oh... Yeah, this is a, quite a nice community. People are people are nice. There's mm. traditions. They're enjoying themselves. There's community. There's you know, the, the, there isn't this kind of lost people in this forsaken land. Yeah, it's actually which I don't you know, I, I think kind of in a way unlike um, that other sort of more Kierkegaardian Bresonian sort of it's you know, Schrader always loves that um, image of the the individual. Whether it's Travis Bickle or whether it's first yeah. writing in the on the desk, and all you've yeah. got is yourself in the desk in the writing, in the you know, word. and it's like you know, Godland saying, "Well, actually, the Icelandic people are kind of having a great time here. Come and join us. Mm. Dare you come and join us? Is it where? Um, yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, it's made and me think a bit more about Godland. Yeah. Drawn into his, you know, pushing his designs on them a bit, like in a gyro, but yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, great, great films, and um, they're on in, on on God's Lonely Man. Yeah, twelve uh, p.m. every Sunday. Twelve p.m. every Sunday. Great opportunity to see some some really classic films, uh, in in the cinema um, throughout the month. Um, we we've talked about just some of the films that are uh, coming up in April. There's there's many more. We forgot <laughs> to mention One Fine Morning, Mia Hansen Love. You of course talked to uh, Mia Hansen Love and um, great French March. director was here at, at, at Watershed <laughs> talking about um, the preview screening of One Fine Morning, um, and that's opening this month as well. Yeah, she's a pretty brilliant new film from her. That kind yeah. of I would say forms a diptych in some ways with her earlier film Things to Come, mm. in the way that that one could be seen as a portrait of her mother in some respects, and this one is kind of. Um, Reflections on her father, yeah, <laughs> not directly, but influenced by. Yeah, it's it's kind of more of a portrait of a time almost. Um, in terms of, it looks at the recurrent threads of a moment when her father's health was in decline, and mm. he had Benson's syndrome, right. which was negatively affecting his cognitive capacities. Um, you know, so there's this kind of grieving for mm. l- losing her father. You know, losing her father in that moment. Um, you know, before his death as well. Um, but at the same time as, you know, she was starting a new affair with an old friend or the characters. Um, and it's the kind of way that those two threads can coexist. And so it's not just a portrait of, you know, the struggles that she was having with her father at the time, but it's the interweaving of this kind of blossoming of new romance mm. and the way that she doesn't want to lean too far into either of those. Um, you know, and obviously it's quite biographical in a sense, mm. you know, as a lot of her films are, that kind of auto-fictions in some ways. 
Um, I was just thinking that's after something. I feel yeah. like, you know, that's similar to There was a really excellent conversation between her and Charlotte Wells, the director of After Sun, um, at the Lincoln Center, I think it's part of New York Film Fest when yeah. both films were presented. Um, and it just draws out yeah, some of those the, the, really the similar person yeah. similarities in the way that they both kind of um present elements of their own, you know, lives on screen. And you know, it was a really interesting part of the discussion in what amount of distance they each have from the events that they depict and yeah again it's that kind of way of processing things through the creative process which well, is what we had earlier with the I was Nick gonna, Cave I was, and, exactly I was going to say that, that that goes all the way back to, to Nick Cave and of course what ghosting was was a processing of, uh, of a grief. traumatic um, event and mm. grief yeah yeah through creativity and you really get the sense that Nick Cave was really forging his way through grief yeah through being creative um and revisiting um which is um an interesting relationship with the end product that we then get which is the story um whether it's a film whether it's an album whether it's music you know you know whatever um and that desire to communicate it to an audience i mean you don't have you can deal with it separately you know but yeah. actually it is about then opening that up to an audience and the way that that then resonates with audiences in the way that that yeah. which after sun i think is an example of something which has kind of resonated quite extraordinarily hopefully the same with one fine morning which opens this month um much more happening as well go to watershed.co.uk um and everything is will be listed there um thank you very much steph Cheers, Mark. And we shall be here next month.